It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode is brought to you by Sonos. Sonos is the official sponsor of ESPN College Football. Go to Sonos.com to learn more. Also, I want to sincerely thank all of you for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Some of you have been with me for a very long time. Some of you are much newer to the show. I appreciate all of you for checking it out, for leaving me feedback, for sending me emails. Sincerely, I really do appreciate all of it. You can also check out this show, for those of you who haven't yet, on YouTube. This is, our, I think, our fifth YouTube episode so far. Something like that. It's been so much fun to do this show, not only in podcast form, but on YouTube as well. Please, please, please go search Locked on Zags on YouTube. Check it out on my social media accounts as well. Hit that subscribe button. We're hoping to get up over 200 subscribers before the start of the Duke game on Friday evening. We're, I think, at just about 115 or so right now, so we're getting there. Would really, really love it if you all would come help me out in that regard. Before we get to Duke, though, we got another big game coming up tonight. Depending when you're listening to this, of course, Gonzaga versus UCLA, number one versus number two, huge game. We're going to talk all about that in the second and third segment of today's episode. But first, we got to talk Central Michigan, the Zags, just as we hoped they would do, or at least as I hoped they would do. Emptied the bench, spread the love, let a lot of different players get a lot of minutes against a, a team that. The game was very unlikely to be particularly close. It was not, in this case, Gonzaga topped the 100-point mark, uh, scored well over double the amount of points that Central Michigan scored. Lots of different guys scored. We're going to talk about that here in the first segment. Uh, We're going to do the good and the bad, which is what I want to do for each of these games. It's going to be a lot quicker when we talk about the bad from this game. There wasn't a whole lot to critique, uh, particularly because we knew this was kind of just a tune-up game ahead of the big one. Uh, today, depending when you're listening to this against UCLA. Start with the good. The good thing, uh, Chet Holmgren, he was awesome. He looked exactly like the kind of player you'd expect to go first overall in the NBA draft uh, for a good reason, because he is expected to go first or second overall in the NBA draft. And he looked like today, 19 points, four rebounds, two assists, two blocks in this one. The biggest thing that I loved seeing out of him was the confidence on some pull-up threes. He hit one early in the game. A pass from Bolton, caught it in stride, right as he got to the top of the key, just pulled up immediately cash money. He took a few in quick succession after that that didn't go down, but frankly, that is okay with me. Confident Chet Holmgren, particularly away from the rim, is awesome. It's an awesome thing to see. This team struggles a little bit from outside. We'll talk about that. They've had some inconsistencies, I guess is the best way to put it. Rasir Bolton's been a better outside shooter than a lot of people expected. Andrew Nembhard has been a better shooter up to this point. Obviously, Julian Strother's been good. But by and large, this is not a great outside shooting team, I believe. I believe it was the slipper still fits from that account that tweeted that when Gonzaga does make threes, it kind of feels like just a bonus because they don't rely on the outside shot so much. And I absolutely agree with that. And it's kind of the case with Chet Holmgren as well, where he can be and a super effective player. He can be the best player on the floor without taking outside shots. It's just a nice bonus. 
when he can knock them down. And when you have an offense that that's predicated on a high-low game between Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy, Chet's ability to knock down the three does become somewhat crucial. If he's unable to do so, defenses can sag off of him. It allows them to double Drew quicker. It makes him less effective. If he's knocking down those outside shots, the defenders have to honor him. They're farther away from Drew. Makes it easier to give him the ball and let him go to work. Beyond that, Chet played the soft spot in Central Michigan's zone defense really effectively. This has been a big talking point all season long, how Gonzaga is going to handle the zone defense. They haven't really seen a good zone defense yet. The only really good team they've played is Texas, and Texas ran that kind of goofy no-middle defense, but it wasn't a zone, and it didn't work. Obviously, Gonzaga was able to make very quick work of that defense in that game, but this game, we saw the zone, and they put Chet Holmgren right in the middle and just let him go to work, and it was easy. It didn't look difficult. Now, again, the personnel is, is part of the factor here. When they play better teams, if UCLA runs a zone, if Duke runs a zone, if we see it against some of the better teams in conference players, certainly as we get into the NCAA tournament, we'll have to see how that kind of goes. If teams are really good enough to force Gonzaga to suit outside shots, you could see a potential recipe where things could get a little dicey for the Zags. But in this game, shoving Chet Holmgren in the middle, he's so efficient with the basketball. He's so good at knowing what to do with it. If he doesn't know, he, he makes a quick decision. He keeps the ball away from smaller guards. He doesn't get flustered when he has the ball and he doesn't quite know what to do with it yet. He's just always in control. It kind of looks... It looks easy. The basketball looks easy for him. He also played really great around the rim, obviously. He had a lot of dunks in this one. That's kind of the second game in a row where we've seen him flush the ball with consistency. He didn't do that a bunch in the first few games. He had some dunks against Dixie State. But other than that, he wasn't really throwing the ball down all that often. It's nice to see that. I think he's finally kind of, he's getting a little bit of swagger. He's getting a little bit of rhythm, certainly. He's kind of maybe adjusting to the speed and physicality of the college basketball game, and you're starting to kind of see that come through. And what a great time for him to start feeling really ready to go because we got two really big games this week, and they need him to show up. Moving on from Chet, Anton Watson had an incredible game, one of the best games that he's ever had. I mentioned this on Mailbag Monday. I think Anton Watson could, in theory, score less than 20 points over these three games against Central Michigan, UCLA, and Duke, and still be one of, if not Gonzaga's, most important player. So far, so good on that prediction. Watson only had seven points in this one, but he also had seven rebounds, three assists, two steals, and two blocks. He was all over the floor. It looked every single play that happened while Anton Watson was on the basketball court, he was involved, and he tipped a bunch of passes. He had a couple steals. He had a couple blocks. He altered some shots. He grabbed a bunch of rebounds. He hit his shots when he needed to. Outstanding, excellent game from Anton Watson. Truly one of the best. I think he's... This is a huge week for him. He's probably going to draw some very tough defensive assignments. He's Gonzaga's best on-ball defensive player. There's a chance he guards Johnny Juzang. There's a chance he guards Wendell Moore for Duke. There's a chance he gets asked at times to guard Paolo Banchero. He's going to guard a lot of really good players over the next two games, and he's going to need to be ready because how he performs, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, is one of the biggest storylines for whether Gonzaga wins these two basketball games or not. This was a great performance for him, a good confidence booster, a good reminder of how critical he is to this team, even if he's not the guy scoring the most points. Nolan Hickman, another player who had an excellent game. I've kind of talked about him a lot the last few episodes, trying to get him going offensively. He's a good defensive player. He's a good facilitator. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's in incredible at not turning the ball over, particularly for a young freshman guard, but he hasn't done a ton of scoring. He looked great scoring the basketball in this game. He took 11 shots, knocked down seven of them, 16 points 
for Nolan Hickman. Now, he didn't have the outside shot, one for four from three. That was a bit of a bummer, but if he's going to make seven for 11 for the field and score 16, I'm okay with that. Even if he only had one assist, that's fine. He was looking for his shot tonight, and he found it, and he was very, very efficient and effective. Great game from him. Another player that I think is just about ready to really pop. He's finally had a few really good games. I think we're going to see him... One of these days, he's going to drop close to 20 and have just an absolutely excellent game. And people who haven't been paying as much attention to this team are going to be very, very surprised. But those of us who have been digging in, we know that he's he's about ready to have that kind of game. And then, of course, the last really good thing that happened in this game, they emptied the bench. They emptied the bench very early. I was talking about this earlier today. I remember, I think it was three three years ago, I believe, when Gonzaga played Oregon and lost in overtime. I believe it was on Thanksgiving Day. They'd had a, day, a game the day before, and they played a lot of their starters a bunch of minutes, 32, 33, 35 minutes. And then those poor guys were asked to play 40-plus in overtime, and they were just gassed. They were just gassed. We don't want that. You do not want to play UCLA with any of your guys tired. It is really, really difficult to do. And so for in this game, for them to have the opportunity to have Matthew Lane come in at the under-eight timeout, he played a full eight minutes. We saw a lot of Joe Few, a lot of Will Graves, a lot of Martinez Harlowskis, and a ton of the two young bigs, Caden Perry and Ben Gregg. They've continued to switch off which one of them comes in first. The last few games, Ben Gregg's been coming in before Caden Perry. This game we saw, I think, four or five more minutes from Caden Perry than Ben Gregg. Both of them looked very good. Caden Perry looked excellent. This is the best he has looked in a real game. He looked great in the exhibition games, but this is the best he's looked in a real game. Six points, four boards, tons of energy. He still is, he's still finding himself defensively a little bit. He looked better. He hedged against the screen really well and recovered for a closeout on a play that I thought was very, very impressive from him. I was probably as impressed by that or more impressed than some of the tip dunk he had and another dunk that he had because we know he's as explosive. We know he can get to the rim and finish, but I want to see him improve defensively. Seeing him look good on that end of the floor, not always. He still had some struggles there, but seeing him put together a few good defensive stretches was really nice to see. That makes me feel a lot more confident about if Gonzaga needed him this year, his ability to come in and be ready to contribute. But Really, really nice game from him. Ben Gregg didn't quite have the shot as well, but he still had 3.6 boards, had a really huge block shot as well. Those two guys are just way too good to be playing this amount of minutes for this team. Obviously, I understand why that's the case, especially with the kind of game that Watson had. But it is, it's continue, continuously ridiculous that these two guys are playing spot minutes for this team when they're as good as basketball players as they are. Mention Matthew Lang, five points, four boards for him. What an awesome story, young man who... You know, has been waiting his turn to get an opportunity to play. Most walk-ons never really expect that, and especially on a team this loaded, for him to be getting seven, eight minutes of action in games like this is is super awesome. Really works hard, you can tell. Just just a good kid, and it's cool to see him do this. Joe Few pulled a three, didn't knock it down, but it was a nice look. Will Graves pulled a couple threes, tried to knock them down as well. But more importantly than any of this is the fact that Andrew Nempard, Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Julian Strother were on the bench for huge chunks of the second half. That's what you want. Get these guys some rest. It was already a late game. It's a late night. It's a quick turnaround tomorrow against UCLA. They're on the road, different state. It's tough. All this stuff is tough to do for anybody. It's tough when you're in college. It's a hard thing to ask people to do. Now, it's not an excuse. UCLA is doing the same thing. It's, it's not something we can use as an excuse. But the ability to let these guys rest a little bit longer keeps them fresher for tomorrow or today at this point by the time you're listening to this and can only help them secure what would be a monumental victory for this program. Now, the few bad things before we move on to talking about UCLA, Gonzaga did take 32 threes 
in this game. They only made nine of them. That's 28%. We've been talking about how the three-point shooting has been ticking up lately. Did not look great in this game. If you take out Julian Strother and Chet Holmgren, generally considered two of their best three-point shooters, the Zags went four for 23. That's real ugly. Worth pointing out, a lot of those were in garbage time when Will Graves and Joe Few and those guys were pulling a bunch of threes. If you're going to take out Strother and Holmgren's numbers, you should probably remove those guys too. So I understand that's a little bit disingenuous, but wasn't a great shooting night for the Zags. They saw the zone. More, more importantly for me is they saw the zone and their reaction to the zone was to shoot more threes. That's what a zone's designed to do is to force teams to shoot more threes. But this is not a great shooting Gonzaga team. And more than that, they're a really good team scoring around the basket. So even if they do have nights where they're going to shoot better than this, which they will, they shouldn't rely on that. I don't want to see Gonzaga relying on the outside shot. Pound the ball to Chet Holmgren in the middle. Have him do his magic there. Get the ball to Drew Timmy in the paint. Don't rely on outside shots just because the defense is giving you that. Because against good teams, that could become a problem. There are games this year that Gonzaga doesn't win if they shoot 28% from three and take 32 of them. That's not a recipe for success. It didn't matter in this game, and those numbers are skewed because they took a lot of those threes at the end of the game. But that is a that is something to watch. Gonzaga, I, I think that they're going to be a better three-point shooting than this, three-point shooting team than this, but I don't want to see them get overly reliant on it when they're playing good teams in zone defenses. And then the last thing, 14 for 24 from the free throw line, that's 58%. That's not going to fly. Just a bad night from the line. I don't know that it's, I'm not panicking about it. I'm not overly concerned about it. Maybe they're just getting used to the rims. Maybe it was just an off night for a couple guys. It's one of those things that happens. But again, you don't want to shoot 58% from the line against UCLA or Duke or Alabama, or A&M, you know, or BYU, any of those teams. So hopefully that's something that kind of gets itself corrected over time, and, and they don't they don't have those kinds of shooting lulls from the line against those good teams. All right, that is a wrap on Central Michigan. We have covered them as much as we are going to cover them in this game. Second segment, we're going to meet UCLA. I say that in quotes because it's basically the exact same team that Gonzaga played last year in the Final Four. Very, very familiar with them. We're going to talk about what they look like this year. Before we get there, though, Let's talk about our sponsor, NetSuite. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system out there to power your company's growth. With visibility and control of your finances, inventory, HR needs, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow as a company, all in one convenient location. NetSuite lets you automate your processes and close your books in no time while keeping you ahead of your competition. In fact, 93% of businesses surveyed increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite, and right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash NCAA. Head to netsuite.com slash NCAA for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That's netsuite.com slash NCAA. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. 
PrizePix allows mixed sport entry, so you can take the over on Chad Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your app store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. All right, segment two, we finished talking about Central Michigan. Got that victory out of the way. The Zags topped the century mark with ease in that one. Got a lot of guys, a lot of playing time. Super fun to see that opportunity. I'm sure it was fun for Mark View to see his son pull up a deep three in that game, even if he didn't knock it down. But now we got the big one. Number one versus number two. The first time the top two teams in the country are squaring off against each other. And both from the West Coast. West Coast Hoops is killing it right now, y'all. We got Oregon, we got BYU, we got Tommy Lloyd's very, very good Arizona squad. Super, super fun time to be a fan of hoops on the West Coast. And obviously these two teams are the pinnacle of that, dating back to the epic Final Four battle that happened last year. Jalen Suggs with that game winner under three seconds to go, banked it in from just inside half court. You all know the story. You all watched that game. It was extraordinary. Now these two teams face off again. Gonzaga looks a lot different. No Suggs, no Kispert, no Joel Iyayi, but of course, bring in Chet Holmgren, bring in stud freshman guards, Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, bring in a Rasir Bolton, whereas UCLA looks kind of the same. <laughs> this is not a very different team. So far on the year, they are 5-0. and They have wins over Cal State, Bakersfield, Long Beach, North Florida, and recently Bellarmine. They also have a very big win over Villanova, a team that was beating them with about nine minutes to go. UCLA came back in that one and won. I feel bad for Nova because it's the same story. When they played Purdue, they were up about 10 with 10 to go. Ended up losing that one as well. The best two-loss team in the country by a landslide. Probably still a top 10 team. I believe they're number eight in Ken Palm, even though they have two losses. But that's a big win for the Bruins. None of the rest of their games are wins are overly impressive. Bakersfield, Long Beach, North Florida, not great teams. Bellarmine is who they played on Monday night. Uh, obviously, Team Gonzaga is very familiar with having just played them. UCLA kind of struggled here a little bit with Bellarmine. It, again, I don't know that it's a super alarming necessarily, but Bellarmine has the kind of strategy that can kind of keep them in games, I think, in ways that some other not as good teams may not be able to hang. But still something to note that Bellarmine is not a team that Gonzaga struggled with, but is a team that UCLA struggled with a little bit. They only ended up, ended up winning that game by 13 points. UCLA, like I said, number two. In most rating systems, they are listed as number seven on Ken Palm. Again, not sure that that matters all of that much. Not to say Ken Palm's ratings are bad necessarily, but number seven is still really good. This is still a matchup between two of the best teams in the country, whether you consider UCLA number two, number three, four, five. There's a lot of other good teams in the country. Purdue, Kansas, Duke, obviously all those schools kind of right, right in that mix. I mentioned this already, but UCLA returned about 93% of their minutes from the Final Four team last year. A really incredible story for them to have obviously been a Final Four team, even though they were a play-in game number 11 seed. It's not like this was a top seed. They did not have a great regular season last year. They peaked at the right time. Mick Cronin had this team absolutely rolling into the NCAA tournament, and then they rolled through the NCAA tournament until they ran into Gonzaga, and they nearly ran through Gonzaga as well. It took some miracles for Gonzaga to pull off a win in that game. And now they're back 5-0 and right now, looking really good, led, of course, by Johnny Juzang. We knew that. He's averaging 21.5 points, 4.5 boards, an outstanding start 
to his season for the All-American. I, it's him and Drew Timmy, Kofi Cockburn. You can fill out the rest of the roster from there. But Juzang is going to be on that squad. He looks extraordinary to start the year. He's going to be an absolute load for the Zags to handle. But there's some other names that Gonzaga fans may not want to hear. They may not want to be reminded about this all that much. Tiger Campbell, of course, they're five foot eleven, really, really speedy. Great shooting point guard. Jules Bernard is back as well. Averaged 10 per game last year, up to 18 this year. Uh, Jamie Yaquez is back, averaging 18 points per game as well. This year, those guys have all been fantastic. The big addition for UCLA is freshman Peyton Watson, was a top 10 prospect in the recruiting class of 2022, or 2021, excuse me, was a Gonzaga target at one point, as most of the guys in the top of that class were. Obviously chose to go to UCLA. Up until the Bellarmine game was really struggling, really struggling. He's averaging three and a half points per game for a top 10 freshman in the country like that. It was it was ugly. Now, obviously, UCLA has enough depth that they could withstand that. They did not need him to be a big contributor. That's one of the things that they share with Gonzaga is they can bring in top 20 caliber recruits in the recruiting class and not have them start, much like Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman, Peyton Watson, similar situation. Watson did finally have his big breakout game against Bellarmine. He had 19 in that game, I think how he plays is going to be a big factor in this one. If he comes out and is an offensive force, if he's getting his shots, if he's finding his way to the rim, doing that stuff, that's going to make things a little bit more difficult for Gonzaga because they're already going to have their hands full with Campbell and Juzang and Bernard and all of those guys. And if Peyton Watson has himself a nice game and is a factor instead of the non-factor that he was for the first four games, that's that's going to make things a little bit more challenging. So that's one of those things that I'm going to be looking for. We'll get to more of those things in the third segment. Beyond that, UCLA shooting 42.5% from beyond the arc. They did struggle considerably to shoot the three against Bellarmine, I think. Part of that is just the law of averages catching up with them a little bit. They had a rough night. Tiger Campbell was shooting 61% from three going into that game, and then he shot 0 for 6 against Bellarmine. Again, might have just been averages catching up with them a little bit. If Tiger Campbell can't make a three against the Zags, that's going to be bad news for UCLA. I can tell you that right now. Jules Bernard shooting 50% from three on the year. This team is going to light it up from beyond the arc. And I think, you know, Gonzaga, I think their perimeter defense has improved. I talked about that on Mailbag Monday as well. It's an area that they are stronger than they've been in the past. But if, if UCLA gets hot, if they swing the ball around, they get open looks, which they're going to do because they're a good offensive team and they're shooting well from beyond the arc, that's going to be a big problem for Gonzaga because they don't have the shooters to get into a shootout. They can go down and get two most of the time down the floor. But if, if UCLA is knocking down a bunch of threes, that could put Gonzaga put Gonzaga in a spot where they need to find other ways to score the basketball. That's something I'm going to be looking for. And then, of course, UCLA is a good defensive team. You don't get to be one of the top five teams in the country if you're not good on both ends of the floor. UCLA is a top 20 defense in the country. They had held Villanova to 77 points. How they handle Gonzaga defensively will be a very interesting storyline, whether they try to go zone like we've seen a couple other teams do. They don't have the size to match up with Drew, Timmy, and Chet Holmgren because pretty much nobody in the country has the size to match up with those two guys. So this will be a huge challenge for UCLA's defense. But also it's it's going to be a challenge for Gonzaga on the offensive end as well. All right, still talking UCLA ahead of the big game, number one versus number two. In the final segment, I'm going to go over my five things to watch. These are the specific things that I'm going to be looking out for in this game, things that I would recommend or suggest that you all look out for as well. And then, of course, after the game, we'll record the podcast. We'll talk about those five things, how they shaped out and what kind of impact they had on the game. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Bet Online is back and better than ever. 
BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. All right, welcome back. Third segment, still talking Zags, still talking UCLA. Still Andy Patton coming at you on the podcast and on YouTube. Check it out if you haven't yet. Hit that subscribe button so we can get to 200 before that game against the Blue Devils on Friday evening. Now I'm going to go over my five things that I'm going to be watching for most closely in this Gonzaga versus UCLA battle. Number one, the big topic for Mailbag Monday, the big topic by the national media, going to be a big topic on Twitter tomorrow. How does Gonzaga defend Johnny Juzang? Juzang is six foot six wing. He can score at all three levels. He's a dynamic offensive player. He's long. He's quick. He's athletic. Gonzaga struggled to handle him in the Final Four, just like everybody else who faced him in the Final Four, just like everybody struggled to guard him this year. He's averaging just about 22 per game, clearly not somebody who's struggling to put the ball through the hoop. I'm really curious who in the starting lineup is going to match up with him. Gonzaga's not going to go zone. They're going to go man to start the game and probably throughout most of the game. But in that starting lineup, I don't know who draws this assignment. I, I think it could be Rasir Bolton. He's not a great defensive player. He's okay. He's a little better than he was advertised. I think he's fine. But Juzang's a better offensive player than Bolton is a defensive player by a considerable amount. You could go Nembhard, but you're giving up a lot of size. Strother's not a great defensive player. He's probably the worst defensive player in that starting unit. It's not going to be him. It's not going to be Drew Timmy. You, you could go Chet. Like, it's an interesting strategy. Now, you're then taking Chet away from the rim, which is his greatest defensive strength. So to me, that is kind of a downgrade. Yes, Chet, I think, could probably handle him. Juzang's quicker than him, and it's going to get around him and could potentially put him in foul trouble, which would be a problem. I think Chet would have more success than a lot of the other guys, but again, at what cost? You're losing his ability to protect around the rim. I think it's ultimately Bolton, but I think a lot of this game is dedicated to Anton Watson and Hunter Salas playing a ton of defense on Johnny Juzang. Watson's 6'8". He's stronger. He's more physical. He's obviously bigger and longer. He's not as quick. He's going to get beat a few times off the dribble. Taking Watson you know, away from the rest of the defense is not a great thing either. He's great at playing the passing lanes. That You lose a little bit of that if he's playing full-on man defense just right on Johnny Juzang the entire time, but it's worth it if you can fluster Juzang and get him out of his rhythm and force 
UCLA's other scores to beat you. Now they can. Their other scores are very good, but you have to do something about Johnny Juzang. And I think Watson's probably the best bet for the majority of the game. I think Salas will get some run as well. He's obviously very long for a guy his size. He's not much smaller than Juzang. Super, super athletic. Probably not quite as physical as Juzang at this point. And putting a freshman on him might be a little bit of a challenge because I think he's going to kind of be able to be crafty and get around him in certain ways. But I think some combination of Watson, Salas, Bolton in the starting lineup, maybe Chet, is the best way to go about it. I don't know that there's a great answer, just because Johnny Juzang's really, really good. If All-American players were easy to defend, they probably would not be All-American caliber players. But it'll be interesting to see how Gonzaga tries to handle this. And then the flip side of that, pretty obviously, how does UCLA stop Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren? (laughs) What are they going to (laughs) do? UCLA has Miles Johnson. He's their big man, 6'10", big physical guy. He probably guards Drew Timmy. He's one of the few big men that Gonzaga will face this year who has the strength and physicality to, to move him around a little bit, maybe neutralize him a bit. I don't think there's anybody in the country who can full on neutralize Drew Timmy, but he's going to do a pretty good job. But who does that leave guarding Chet Holmgren? I saw somebody suggest maybe, maybe it's Juzang. He might have to guard Chet. That's interesting. <laughs> interesting in the sense that Johnny Juzang is 6'6". He's athletic. He's talented. I don't think he can guard Chet Holmgren. So if they go man, one of those two guys is going to have a much smaller player on them most of the time. When that happens, Gonzaga needs to exploit that advantage as much as possible. UCLA could go zone. This is something they could try to do. I don't know how much zone they've played this season. It makes sense. When you watch Gonzaga shoot 28% from three in this game, when you look at Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren and what they're capable of doing, now, obviously, they've shown that they have the ability to break the zone. But if you have a longer team, you have a more athletic team, you pack in a zone, you make them shoot threes, you do your best to, every time Chet Holmgren gets the ball, collapse, collapse, collapse on him in the middle of the court. He's still going to make you pay a little bit. He might still get quick passes out to shooters. You know, if the defense collapsed too quickly, Julian Strother, Rasir Bolton, they're going to hit their threes. They're going to knock them down. But I think that's probably going to be what UCLA does, or at least it would not surprise me if they try to run these really compact zones and collapse on Chet Holmgren as soon as he gets the ball in the middle of the post and kind of hope that works. Because playing the straight-up man with their starting unit means one of Gonzaga's bigs is going to have a big size advantage on whoever's guarding them. Size advantages doesn't always mean everything, but it's pretty darn helpful. And it would be a it would be a tough sell for UCLA to play a full man for all 40 minutes and just hope that those two guys don't take advantage of it because they're going to, and it's going to be a problem for them if they don't figure out a way to stop it. Number three for me, how do the freshman guards look against real competition? That's, of course, Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman. We've only seen Gonzaga play one very solid opponent in Texas in that game. Hunter Salas only played four minutes, which was very kind of alarming and surprising. He's looked very, very good since then, but hasn't gotten an opportunity to play anybody that will really challenge him. Nolan Hickman played more in that Texas game. He played a lot at the end of the game when Julian Strath was on the bench because he kind of was struggling in that one. So I think we'll see both these guys a lot more than we saw them against Texas. At least certainly that'll be the case with Salas. And I'll be interested to see how they perform. This is a big game for them, nationally televised game, you know, against a huge school, a lot of emotion playing a school like UCLA. So I'm curious how they look. Hickman looked great tonight against Central Michigan. Salas looked good as well. It wasn't as as good of a performance, but he looked good in what he did. So I'm really curious how that translates over to this UCLA game where they're going to be playing some long, some physical, some very, very talented wings, guys they haven't really faced. Texas has a great group of guards, and they had to go against them. But again, Salas only played four minutes. 
that's the only experience he has against really, really good guards. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like against UCLA because I know he's going to play more than four minutes. And Hickman, same type of thing. How does he... He's had two really good games in a row. Do we see him put on another offensive clinic? Does he score more? Does he score in double figures again for what I believe will be the third time in a row? You know, how, do, how does what the performances that these two young men have put together against some inferior competition, what does that look like against UCLA? Number four, will Gonzaga's hot shooting continue? I made these notes before tonight's game, obviously. So hot shooting is, is relative. They only shot 28% from three against Central Michigan. But Andrew Nempard and Rasir Bolton have been good from beyond the arc to start the season. That's been a huge part of it. Julian Strother's obviously been great all season long outside of the Texas game as an outside shooter. Chet Holmgren looked better from the outside in this game, at least. He's he's picked it up from that range. But if UCLA really does pack it in that zone like I'm expecting them to, I don't want I want I don't want Gonzaga to rely too much on the three because that's risky, especially on this roster. But they're going to need to knock some of them down, and we need Bolton to come up and, and shoot three for four like he's done in a couple games this year. We need Strother to knock down three or four threes. Nembhard needs to knock down the ones that he takes. And really, it'd be nice going back to the the one right before this. It would be nice if Salas and Hickman could get in the game a little bit. Salas hasn't made a three yet. Hickman went one for four in the last game. It'd be nice to see those guys start knocking down some outside shots as well. I think that's going to be a big part of this game is how Gonzaga can shoot from the outside and how they can stop UCLA from shooting from the outside. Because right now that's a huge disparity between these two teams. UCLA has multiple players who can really light it up from beyond the arc. Gonzaga doesn't. Now they have much more interior scoring, much more front court presence than UCLA. But threes are worth more than twos. And if UCLA really gets hot from three and Gonzaga can't find a way to get going from beyond the arc, it could be it could present a problem for them. And last but not least, my five things to watch. This is my fifth thing, and it is not to watch. It is to listen. Dickie V is going to be on the sidelines covering the game. Dick Vitale, college basketball legend. If you missed this story somehow, he's been a longtime advocate for research against cancer forever and ever and ever. And unfortunately, this year he got diagnosed with cancer. He's been going through radiation and, and chemotherapy treatments. He's been cleared to return to work. His first game back as a commentator will be Gonzaga UCLA on Tuesday night. A legend, a college basketball icon. I know some people find him a little grating and I can understand that, but he is an institution. He is one of the most iconic voices in the sport, the voice of the sport, and he loves Drew Timmy. He loves the Zags. He loves UCLA. He's going to be so excited for this game. It's there are a lot of reasons I wish I was at this game. Obviously, it'd be so much fun to be in Las Vegas, be around a lot of Gonzaga fans watching this game. But man, I got to tell you, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to get to hear Dickie V on the call. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be emotional for him. It's going to be emotional for the fans because of how much he means to this sport. I'm so happy that his recovery has gone well enough to the point where he's able. It sure didn't seem like over the offseason when we were learning about this that he'd be calling a basketball game before Thanksgiving. I'm thrilled that he is, and I can't wait to hear, hear him on the call. All right, that is going to do it for today. Looking forward to another game and another late show, of course, after the UCLA game. We'll recap the game. We'll give you some updates on the WCC because it's Wednesday after all. Not skipping this week, even though we got the holiday. I'm going to record Andy Locks for Thursday, so get me your hot takes. You can listen to them while you're eating your turkey on Thanksgiving dinner. And then, of course, Friday we're going to have a preview of the Duke game as well. Super fun stuff coming up. One of the biggest weeks in Gonzaga basketball history. You can get all of the coverage 
at Locked On Zags. Find it wherever you find podcasts. Also find it on Twitter at Locked On Zags or my own personal Twitter account, which can be found at ScoreZagScore. And YouTube, go to the YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button. Trying to get to 200 subscribers, hit it as soon as you can. Really, really appreciate you all. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked On Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, it's hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.